Welcome back to another episode of 30 Flirty and Surviving. This is your host, Tracy. New episodes come out every Monday on Apple, iHeart, and Spotify. You can check out some video clips of each episode on YouTube, and you can also follow along with everything going on with the show on Instagram at 30 Flirty Surviving. Some of you guys have been taking my advice. You've been listening to me. You've been sending some new referrals my way, and I really, really appreciate it. So keep them coming. You guys have a lot of great guests in mind for the show and I hope to have you all meet them very very soon my guest for today has quite the extensive resume she is the self-proclaimed Amy Poehler of vaginas which is one hell of a line and and a perfect way to get you guys right on the edge of your seats before we really dive into it. But in addition to that, she is a Pilates and yoga instructor. She has written two books. She's the host of two podcasts. She has helped various women with their health, helping them advocate and educate about their own health. She also is the co-founder and head of content for postpartum.com. And the list goes on and on. She is a hoot. She is hilarious. She's very unfiltered. So she might make me, I'm like, I always try to do this show like as if my dad was listening. So I feel like you're really going to take me out of my comfort zone today, but I'm ready for it. I'm excited for it. So please allow me to introduce to you Miss Alyssa Alter. Alyssa, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, Tracy, thank you for that incredible introduction and thank you for having me. I mean, like it's like seven pages long, this resume of yours. You've done it all. I've done a lot of things. I've lived a lot of lives. Not to mention you also are a mother of two with one on the way. Uh, the one on the way will be the second. Will be the second. Okay. But still, I mean, you have a kid, you have a house to take care of, uh, you got a husband. You you can really, you know how to juggle. You know how to juggle, girl. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I, you know, in my 20s, I was also in musical theater, a Broadway right. performer. And I so, most often was the swing and dance captain of the show. And the swing does like what you were talking about, like the multitasking, like you yeah. understudy everyone. That's right. And you are there to, if someone gets injured or misses the show or anything, you just are thrown in at a moment's notice and make the magic happen because the show must go on. So I think, uh, you know, probably just growing up, I had that skill anyway, but it was very much honed yes. during my musical theater yes. career. You, so you're well-trained for this and you're doing it yes. well. You're doing it very well. So before <laughs> I allow you a minute just to sort of give everybody your background from your own words, I like to do a couple fun basic questions just to I love it. Go over some of the essentials. So if you'll play <laughs> along with me, my first question is where were you born and raised? I was born in Monmouth County, New Jersey, and was raised there. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, Central and Jersey, by the shore, but like the northern part okay. so of no, the shore. Okay, so no snooky poof. No, although I, funny, 
uh, Mike, the situation married a girl. I didn't go to high school with her, but she went to high school with my best friend, like at the next town over. Lauren, I know so her. That, you know her? No, no, no. I mean, I know her from TV. I don't know her personally. Oh, <laughs> I know her as much yeah. as anyone else Lauren who watches Pesh. on TV does. That's so funny. Okay. Okay. That's so fun. Fun fact. That Amanda. is a fun fact. I love that. <laughs> and you lived in New York for a couple years, but now you're actually back in New Jersey now. So you're joining us from Jersey at the moment, correct? From New Jersey, a little further north. Yeah. I was in Manhattan and Brooklyn for over 15 years. Wow. I love well yeah. with your background in musical theater as Broadway. Yeah. Makes sense, <laughs> yeah. right? What is your zodiac sign? I am an Aries sun and a Gemini moon. Oh my goodness. I'm an Aries. Yeah. You might be the first other Aries I've ever had on the show, to be honest with you. This Get is out. a monumental moment for 30 Flirty Surviving. This is gonna be a fiery episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's to put it lightly. Yes. Right. <laughs> I cannot wait. What is your, well, I already, I gave it away, but relationship status, you are married. Correct. I am. I'm also, this is my second marriage. Second marriage. Yes. Which yes. We, I got I married in, which we will talk about we later. We will talk about that. that. <laughs> we will. And I love that like you are so forthcoming with it. I don't even have to pull yeah. it out of you. Like that's just so part of your story. And I can't wait for you to tell everybody. But age, if you don't mind. 38. Love it. And I always ask one more little fun question that's kind of random, but I thought it would be perfect for you and such a fun way to start. I want you to tell everybody if you can remember where you were or your story when you got your first period. Oh my God. <laughs> it was a big week. Yeah. I turned 13. Three days later, I got my braces off. Oh, the day after that, I got my period. And then three days after that, it was my bat mitzvah. And so I also had my period for my bat mitzvah. Oh, no. It was a very, very big week in the life. Yeah. And I was too nervous to use tampons mm. like right away. I, did, I actually didn't learn to use tampons until that fall for my best friend's bat mitzvah. I was like, I refuse to suffer through another bat mitzvah with pads because I did it with mine and was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like constantly uncomfortable and like could feel it. It was like, I guess I have to change my pad right now. Like yeah. anytime I felt I was a lunatic. So I, I then for my best friend's bat mitzvah, like essentially stabbed myself in the vagina to make it go in <laughs> because I like didn't, I was not well versed in what I was happening down there. And I was like, you just get in. It's so um, tricky. It The first time, I mean, and it's so funny. I yes. just, I don't ever look at it, but the instructions, when you think about how they come with the instructions when you were younger and you're, it's your first time using them, those are so confusing. So confusing. It's like one leg's up here, one leg's over here. I, and you're trying to like, where do I put the instructions so that I have both of my, right. I need both yeah. my hands for this, right? Like, and where, yeah, where, where is anything? And right. then where does it go? Like, if you have no idea what you're even working with. Right, right. Oh, my God. Well, that is a funny story. Happy Bumitzvah <laughs> to you, to you. Thank you. So <laughs> I would love for you, if um, if you don't mind, to just really quickly, it doesn't have to be every single detail because I know there's so much to summarize, but give the folks at home an introduction of your background and sort of how you got to where you are now from your own own words. So I uh, grew up in New Jersey. I went to I went to Skidmore College. I majored in dance and Spanish, which I only used to 
like at karaoke to sing mostly Shakira, but also some Juanes. Um, and moved to New York right after college to pursue musical theater. And I got my Pilates certification because I didn't want to wait tables. And it was through my career and various injuries and working with clients that I realized that I like all of our alignment, like I became obsessed with the pelvis, like seeing this in my clients. Like if I, if I really cued like where their pelvis was in space and if they moved from there, everything else kind of fell into place. And I then had a back injury from a production of guys and dolls that I was a part of. Um, not that it's the show's fault, but (laughs) anyway, I hurt my back and I said something to my physical therapist where I was like, you know, I think this actually isn't my back. Like, I think I, I hurt my back, but I think the issue is my pelvis. And it turns out she was finishing up her like continuing education and certification and training to become a pelvic health physical therapist, like a pelvic floor physical therapist. So through talking with her, She was like, if you're interested in the pelvis, like you're going to lose your mind over the pelvic floor. And I was like, I think you're right. (laughs) So I I did some teacher trainings and some continuing education and my mind was blown. And a lot of what blew my mind was how much I didn't already know. Like we talked about like, okay, I'm inserting something into my vagina, the tampon, Mm -hmm. right? Or like that could have been... maybe something of a partner of mine, you know, like as you're younger and you don't like, I had no idea what I was working with. And it's that part that I was like, why, why was I actually, I mean, listen, I got that diagram in health class and had to put the name next to the arrow of what each part was, but that doesn't translate to like what's in my pants. Right. Right. And so hundred percent. And it just sort of snowballed because then I was like, oh, my God, like I didn't even know what was going on in my body. And then like as I became like sexually active, it's like I just like handed my body over to someone else and was like, I don't know. He'll know what to do with it. (laughs) I didn't know what to do with it. Well, the amount of trust we put in their hands. (laughs) Right. It's And it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe you will. Right. Like that's our only resource. And to then be an adult woman being like, you know, there actually is so much about my own body. I don't know. And I want to have kids one day and I don't even know what the heck is going on in here. And it just like really fueled this fire in me around not just educating about the pelvic floor, but like educating women and advocating for women and empowering women to advocate for themselves, like at the doctor's office, in the bedroom, in the office, not that you have to talk about your vagina at work, but <laughs> please avoid talking about your vagina at work at all costs. Thank could, you. It, I don't think HR likes that. No. Um, it's a, but, and, but like if we, it really sort of for me boils down to this idea that if we aren't fluent in our own bodies, just knowing what's going on, knowing what is normal for us, knowing what we're dealing with, knowing what things look like, feel like, how they operate. How in the world am I going to op- be able to advocate for myself in any of those ways? If I am complete, if I am disconnected with and uneducated about myself, how am I going to ask my doctor certain questions? But also, how am I going to at work? 
advocate for myself in any way, whether it's, you know, whether it's somebody crossed your boundary, something's happening, or you are trying to negotiate a raise. Mm-hmm. Right. If yeah. you, you have to write, like where we talk about and we're told like, you know, trust your intuition, check in with your gut, know your self-worth. But how am I supposed to do that when a very integral part of my body is something that I have been conditioned implicitly and explicitly to be disconnected from, ashamed of, disgusted by, embarrassed about, and keep secret. Yeah, definitely. How then am I supposed to actually show up? You, it's it's nearly impossible, but yet it's the expectation yeah. at the same time, right? And I I love what you're saying because it really is truly almost ass backwards in in so many ways. And I do fully understand that you know there are there's an element of discretion that like you know, an eighth grade health class we have to use when we're, when we're going over these, this material. Right. But then that's sort of the one and only opportunity for education for most women. Right. We, you have that class and then you go on with your life. And before you know it, you know, you're get you're becoming sexually active. You're starting to get your period. You're having all these things happen to you and you have it. You don't, don't have additional resources. And then you get to a point where I think a lot of women can probably relate to this and agree with this then you feel like embarrassed that you're that age and you don't know it yet so then you just continue living in the unknown you you know what I mean totally and you're like and who am I supposed to ask right I can't tell you you know so many of the women that I work with will come to me first and say I have I'm I you're the only one I can ask and they'll ask me a question and I will say that is a question that's perfectly appropriate actually to ask your doctor. Mm. Like your your OB will have the answer or that's something you might want to talk to a pelvic health physical therapist. Right. And it's not, you know, and I I am very very like intentional like I'm I am not a doctor. Right. So I'm not going to and I'm not going to pretend that I am. I don't think, you know, I don't have like an ego about it. But it's sort of like that sort of helped me realize what my role is, is to talk about these things and be that sounding board and use other, you know, the things I am an expert in as a way to empower women to feel comfortable asking these questions and advocate for themselves. But then they will talk to me about it because they know, like I say, like, I don't believe in TMI and I'm 100% a judgment-free zone because – and like, like not at work, like you don't have to talk to everyone about your vagina, like, you know, and pro- there are <laughs> a lot of scenarios where it is not appropriate. And, but I also feel like if you have something you need to talk to about your, you need to ask questions about, or you need to talk about, about your body, you absolutely deserve a safe space to do so. Agree. And the more like, and whenever... I like do things in a group and people just talk about why they're there. People get so much out of just hearing other women say, I've had painful sex. I struggle. I actually am not currently having penetrative sex because it's too painful, which is often the result of something called vaginismus. And then like people have been like, oh, I'll bring up that word to my doctor as a potential thing. Like I didn't even know that word. Yeah. And that eventually gets them whatever their diagnosis is. Because again, I'm not diagnosing anyone because no. 
I'm not a doctor. Right. But you can <laughs> you can hopefully answer a good amount of their questions. And then those that you are not able to answer, you can point them in the right direction or give them tools to to research on their own or, you know, figure out who should be a- answering those questions for them. Yeah. And the, and the permission to ask their doctor yes. to move forward and get answers. Because mm-hmm. I think we're, well, I don't think. I mean, I think this, but I think it because I've experienced it. I've seen it. I know this. We're conditioned to tolerate so much. And especially when it comes to like our pelvic floor, our reproductive health, our sex organs, our sexual desires, anything. Like we just aren't supposed to talk about it. Yeah. It, it, it's just, been that way for a very, very long time. And I'm very fortunate that there's people like you who are starting to crack away at that mentality and and make change because, you know, this is how this all really came to be for you. You notice this large gap, right? This huge void. And there was an opportunity there for you to sort of step in and, and help others. And that was the main driver. And then also this sort of fascination with this abundance of knowledge and education that we just weren't privy to. Yeah. Okay. So for... Others who have not had the chance to take a peek at your website yet, which is alyssa-alter.com. There are, I mean, I could spend an entire day going through every tab and resource, but (laughs) you have so many different free downloads. There's courses to sign up for. Um, There's fun facts that you just sort of have trickled in throughout each page of the website. Um, of course, your your podcasts as well. Um, but generally speaking, sort of the areas in which that you can help other women are, you know, knowing and understanding our bodies yes. during pregnancy, postpartum, just overall muscle strengthening for physical health Mm -hmm. and then also improving our pleasure and enjoyment when it comes to sex. A lot of different categories. And so I think it's important to just really lay those out because it doesn't mean you don't have to have a problem for this to apply to you. But if you do have a problem, you know, this can be helpful. But also in all stages of our lives, this is going to impact, I mean, any woman at any given time any given time. So there's a lot to unpack. And what I thought would kind of be helpful in terms of how to sort of guide the episode would be breaking it down into some of those areas or categories and asking maybe top one or two questions that I think your clients may ask you or maybe that you have been asked or that I want to know. And then we'll kind of see where where it takes us. Okay. So I want to start with just basics. So you're saying pelvic floor. We've clearly already touched upon the fact that there's many people listening who probably don't even know what that is what that means. So right. for for beginner 101, what is our pelvic floor and why the heck does it mean anything to me? Why do I need to know about it? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So your pelvic floor is a hammock of muscle that is at the base of your pelvis. And when I talk about the pelvic floor, two things about that. One is I simplify things for these conversations because again, like we're not like clinicians learning how to perform surgery on the pelvic floor. We're human beings trying to connect to this, 
these muscles and this part of our body and use them more effectively. So you, I also want you know, you to know that I know that we all know that the pelvis, the pelvic floor is complicated. It's, it's complex. It's fabulous. And we're simplifying it. So it's a hammock of muscles that when I talk about it, I talk about it in a diamond shape, that diamond being from your pubic bone to your tailbone would be like the two ends and then your two sit bones. So it makes roughly a diamond shape and it's the muscles, the hammock of muscles that sort of color in that diamond of bony landmarks that both house and support your reproductive and digestive organs, but also really these muscles support all of your internal organs. Like if we didn't have the pelvic floor, all your guts would fall out the body. (laughs) So it's good that we have it. Also something that people ask a lot, men also have a pelvic floor. They don't have a vagina. So (laughs) no, they they don't. Well, actually, actually, that's not true. That's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily (laughs) true at all. And I'm glad we're saying on that. um, We're saying that, that, uh, because that is true. But uh, you're saying um, a cisgendered but male, the, obviously. The, yes. I was referring to a cisgendered male, but also like that's the variation. But all of us have a pelvic floor. We all have. Right. One. So it's not specific to a cisgendered woman. It is Correct. a crucial piece of the male and female bodies. Yes, because it is part of... When we talk about really like core strength and core stability, this is a really important part that often gets sort – like it doesn't get completely left out because lots of workouts and fitness people and people will talk about the importance of using your pelvic floor. But because everyone's afraid to say vagina or testicles or anal sphincter or urethral – you know, we're afraid to say these things and get specific about it. We'll just be told to tighten our pelvic floor, use our pelvic floor, engage our pelvic floor. And most people just squeeze their butt cheeks, which are nearby, but not. But they're not, but they are not your pelvic floor. <laughs> they're different, which is great. And we also, we want to be able to use both together and separate. <laughs> okay. This is very helpful. So in terms of sort of how it connects to our overall health in terms of physical health i feel like we've we've just covered that how can yep, it check. impact our mental health health if we're not having mm. it very you know if it's not strong or if it's not in in good condition quote unquote if you will it can it can yeah. impact both right it's not just physical yes so a healthy muscle can fully contract and fully release right? If we only do one or the other, we have muscular dysfunction. It is not functioning properly. It is not optimal function, right? We want a full range of motion to fully contract and fully release. So think about it. Like think about your pelvic floor is made out of the same type of muscle, like voluntary skeletal muscle as like your, your, biceps, your triceps, your quadriceps, right? When we're stressed out, our muscles get tense, right? Like you think about stress, like your shoulders raise, your butt probably clenches. (laughs) And there is a sphincteric, which is a real word, response in your pelvic floor. Because if you think about it, like if we were in a room and like, or somewhere and a saber tooth tiger was about to eat us, right? That fight or flight response is going to tense your, right, tense your muscles, prepare to run. And when it comes to your pelvic floor, it's going to 
like close all your sphincters because you don't have time to pee or poop or if you're pregnant, like go into labor and birth a baby because one, you don't have time to stop and do that. And two, you can't leave a trail because then that saber tooth tiger is going to find you and eat you. Now, our brain and the part of our brain that fires off this nervous system stress survival response does not doesn't take the time to distinguish between a saber-toothed tiger about to eat you or you see an email or a text or getting a phone call from insert someone who stresses you out. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? So if this is my favorite example. Hypothetically speaking, say there was like, I don't know, for years on end, like this virus going around where it was <laughs> dangerous to breathe. Like you might be in a heightened state of stress for a while, right? Which right. is going to create residual tension. I, you know, I make the joke to, because like I don't bring some levity to it because we can all relate to that. Now, conversely, Right. If we are, if we feel safe, if we're calm, if we're the other part of our nervous system, the parasympathetic part of our nervous system, the like rest and digest part is more active, all of our muscles relax. And that includes your pelvic floor. It includes that's when you, you know, you're pooping regularly. Right. You're, you're, Peeing when you need to pee. You, if you were pregnant, you might go into labor because it is safe to do so. You could have an orgasm because it's safe to take some time, find some pleasure, feel good because you're not about to die. <laughs> right? Yes. And again, the, this part of our brain that responds, it sees things really very black and white like that. Um, so what's cool is that if you, the most direct way to really address your pelvic floor and like get it on board with everything is through deep breathing by breathing all the way down, like diaphragmatic breath, but not just like your thoracic diaphragm, the diaphragm more connected with your lungs, but to your pelvic diaphragm, to your pelvic floor, because that requires the muscles to release and contract the fact that those muscles are releasing, it's sort of like reverse engineers or like tricks your brain into thinking you're safe because you must be safe. Otherwise, these muscles wouldn't relax in any way, shape, or form. So you can be in a heightened state of stress and do that deep breathing. And it's actually shifting the state of your nervous system and activating the rest and digest, which by activating that, it deactivates the stress right. cycle. Wow. I've just yeah. recently been learning a lot more about breath work and it's one of those other sort of mind-blowing topics um, or areas where I'm like, how has this just been sitting here this my whole life and I've known nothing about it? But I love the examples that you use because I think it just really helps to clarify and break things down because obviously, you know, when we're stressed, that's our hormones. We know our hormones affect so yeah. many things in our body, right? So it's this domino effect of the, or, or also like ping pong too, of like our physical and, and mental health, our physical and our mental health. Like, which one is it going to be? Because then, you know, when you're, when you're stressed and those sphincters closed or your muscles are tight and they're constricting, that could be pain and it can also like just go from oh, one thing to the next yeah. to the next, to the next. 
And that chronic stress can show up as back pain. That could be caused by your pelvic floor. It could be constipation. It could be the inability to orgasm. Because an orgasm is a buildup of tension, right? Mm -hmm. Engagement, muscular tightening, followed by a release. If you don't have access to both, or if you only have a small range of motion, right? That's... I mean, I don't want to play, make anyone have to, but like, that's a small, a smaller orgasm. A, I don't want to say like lesser, but like, versus yeah. if you have a big range of motion, like you're going to have a, you're going to have a fun right. time. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's levels to it. I think that's, that makes sense. Right. Like, Absolutely. You know, you'll have a more intense, full right. experience. And that's due to the range of, range of motion that you have access to, which is determined both physically and mentally. And like, that's something else that, I talk about a lot is really leveraging what we know about our physical strength, physical health, how our muscles work, and applying that to our emotional and mental health because they're the same. Like, it's all connected. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this breakdown is perfect. Um, As another sort of layer to this, one of the things that you are often found saying, or I should say asking... One of the questions you often ask others is, do you know where your pelvis is pointing? What does that mean? Right? I say, do you know where your vagina Vagina. is pointing? Oh. I know. Vagina is pointing. I had had the alliteration going on. I'm like, the pelvis points. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So do you know where your vagina is pointing? Okay. So what does that mean? Oh my God. What doesn't it mean? No, I'm just kidding. But really. Um, Okay. So we talked about that diamond of your pelvic floor, like using that shape, like the bony landmarks. So again, generally speaking, this is also everyone's anatomy is unique. We understand that, right? But like roughly at the center of this diamond, there is a hole that is your vagina. The vaginal opening is roughly at the center of this. So, okay. Where it's we're sitting. So sit, you're sitting now. So notice just how you're sitting. Don't do anything. Okay. And then you're going to do something. Make your vagina point straight down. Am I doing it? I don't know. Yeah. So but yeah, it's the, just like, like it's your posture in a lot of ways, right? Yes. And since that's the center of the diamond, another thing that I will say, like when I'm teaching workshops in my courses, because Listen, I want to normalize the conversation around yeah. this, but like we all don't need to hear me say vagina like actually a thousand times, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> but it, it's it, too, it's like you need to sort of oversay it to finally get people comfortable saying it the amount of times they probably all. should, right? You know, it's like you exactly. got to go extreme, go big or go home. <laughs> yes. Go, exactly. So if you are sitting up in a way where your vagina is pointing straight down, mm-hmm. that diamond of your pelvic floor is also now parallel to the floor. Okay. Whereas we, most people sit rocked back a little bit, like yeah, that's tailbone how underneath sitting, yeah. them. So that would be like your vagina pointing forward. Yes. Right? And a lot of additional pressure on your tailbone, which actually creates, Uh you know, over time, it creates unnecessary tension and shortening in the muscles of the pelvic floor and pressure on your lower back that if the, can that, it it, it snowballs, all these pieces come together and then you're like, why is my core weak? And it's like, well, because the other stuff, like it all cascades from there. 
So if you just from sitting, if you, like I tell people, and now I'm telling you, like have a post-it note, put it on your laptop or at your desk. If it, if you have a desk in a place where it would be appropriate to have this, otherwise you could like make a little code for yourself. And that says, where is your vagina pointing? So that you can throughout the day check on your posture. Because when I asked you to then sit with your vagina pointing straight down, you not only rocked forward, but you actually sat up tall. Your spine got longer. You sat up taller. And when you just make that shift, the rest of your spine and your body follow suit. Because something that drives me nuts as someone who has been in ballet classes for over 35 years, I've been in Pilates classes since I was 15. So what is that? 23 years. Yoga classes since I'm 18. Right? Like, I can't stand it when it's like, okay, so your 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 ankles are over your heels and your knees are over your ankles and your hips here and then your knees here, but where are your shoulders and where's your head? And what's it? I think it's about one thing. Are you kidding me? And now I have a kid and I'm pregnant with another. You think I have that much brain space? Like, and again, it, this is years on end of it being scary to breathe. Like, I don't have enough mental space for that. I can ask myself, where's my vagina pointing? Right. And that's a suddenly, good way to simplify it for people. And you then feel the response and then you might be like, oh, where are my shoulders? Like you'll feel what's going on in the rest of your body. And when we have that physical alignment, it allows all of our muscles to work in that more balanced way. And like all of the systems in our body, like so meaning like circulatory, digestive, reproductive, to work the way that they were designed. Mm. Well, speaking of things working the way that they were designed, I want to sort of pivot into the the next category, which is being at the doctor's office. And I, I don't really understand why we are timid to ask certain questions and to bring things up to our doctors. But it is a fact, us women especially are. And I don't know if it's this whole, you know, be like a lady, you got to act this way. And so we either don't want to say those words like, what did what, you say earlier? Like vaginosis or something? Vaginismus. Vag, yep, that one. <laughs> or yep. B, they can't pronounce it, which is like me. I'm like, I, I can't bring it up because I don't know how to say it right. But like, there's, <laughs> right, there's all these reasons why we don't ask questions at the doctor. Right. And I think that you know, you covered it in the beginning of this, but it's it, it's more important now than ever that we do. And especially as we are getting older or if we're considering getting pregnant, having kids, right? And there's going to be these changes physically to our body. Yeah. The more we understand it, the better we can work with it, right? And the better we can take care of it. So I'm curious, like, what questions from your experience in this field do you feel talking with your clients are like the the most frequently left out that we should be asking? You know, have you do you have those moments with your with new clients where you're kind of like, well, have you asked this? And it's the first thing that comes to your mind, but for some reason it hasn't come to theirs or they haven't asked. What just general questions should we be asking our doctors? Well, there's, I love this question and there's, there are so many answers and I feel like really what, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm asking you first. Mm -hmm. I think there's just, there's, there's a level of embarrassment for not knowing. And I think we also are just like, we, 
We expect not to get what we need from our doctors. And this is like a very delicate thing because also like there are doctors out there who are like doing a bad job of taking care of patients, right? They, They exist. And I also, like, I like doctors. I also don't think someone goes to medical school and does residency and does all that and really doesn't care about taking care of people. They're also operating in a system that's really broken. Mm. And I think we're just, we we don't expect to get our needs met there. And then I think there's also, like we said before, like, there's an embarrassment that we don't know this already or we think that we should know this or like maybe I really am weird. And our conditioning as women is that then like if something is wrong in our physical body, like we would not feel this way if it was like, I think I have an ear infection. But if we're like, I think I have a vagina infection, we're now disgusting. We're worth, not worthless, but we are worth less right like we're slutty we're bad we're immoral we're horrible we're right like yeah you feel all of this other stuff that we have you feel that way because we've been taught to feel that way and your doctor is your teammate and the most most of the questions that i get that center around anything like this it just all always starts with is it normal too? Yeah. Is it weird? Is it normal? And I get it. I totally get it. I get it because also I'm not immune to this. Of course. course yeah. You, right? Like, right. do you know We've what I mean? Like, been I there. totally, we have all, all, all been there. Mm-hmm. And I think the most powerful thing that you can do, besides knowing where your vagina is <laughs> all the time, um, is to like, And this applies also, like, even if you're not planning for your family yet, but, like, you're dating and, like, you're having multiple partners or, like, you're self-conscious with someone going down on you or you're afraid to even be like, hey, like, if we're both going to have a good time here, can you go down on me first and then we'll get to it? Like, right, any of this, the most powerful thing that you can do is periodically Take a mirror and look at your vulva. Look at your anatomy. What do your labia look like? What does your vaginal opening look like? What can you see just like normal? What can like just like at rest? What do you see if you like move, touch a little bit? What does your anatomy look like? Because then if like, say you have sex with a new partner and you're like really sore after and it like stings when you pee, you can look and see if like your skin is just irritated. Right. Right. Which there are things you can do for that. Right. Or you're just like, okay, like tomorrow it'll be better. Or like, huh, what's that? Or I have a cut or I have a sore or I have, I don't, I don't know. They're, right. Right. Like we, there's so, oh, oh, it's an ingrown hair. Right. But like you then know, and you then can go to your doctor and say, this is different. Right. Because so often there's so much variation, like normal isn't uniform. Yeah. That's like what I was thinking this whole time. I mean, I, I don't know, this might seem like an extreme, but in a lot of ways, vaginas are like snowflakes, right? Like they're not all the same, yes! you know? I don't think there's probably as many variations of, of vaginas as there are snowflakes, but Maybe. there's a lot of different ones, right? And yes. I And we, 
whenever something is feeling, say, off down there, we go and we try to research it on our own. But there's not one singular um, photo or or journal, like right, medical whatever, that can tell you yes. exactly what your baseline is. So if you take, if you look at one picture that this that this you know website has as a diagram, it might not look like yours. And what your issue is then is this different from my baseline or is this not? So it's not even like, is this normal? It's what's normal to me. We, and we don't take the time to learn our own bodies. So that's where we get ourselves sort of into that like hot water or trouble sometimes, right? Totally. And I'm sure like someone listening, like heard me say that and is like, well, that's weird. I feel weird about that. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to need like a couple shots before I do it. I don't know. Whatever works. Whatever works. And again, I get it. And to like the point that I make is like, I know on my left eyebrow, there are like three hairs holding up the team for the outside edge because I waxed them a lot in high school. And like once you wax for a really long time, they don't all come back. And if one of those three crucial hair gets plucked, like the whole eyebrow is gone. Mm -hmm. That's not, I mean, that's certainly specific and maybe quirky for me to know, but it's not weird. But suddenly, if I know what my vulva looks like and I can speak to that openly, now I'm a weirdo. Right. You look at your eyebrow every day. So that's an easy thing to distinguish, right? We're not taking enough time to look down there. So we don't know. And how can you identify whether or not there's a problem if you don't know what not normal, but your normal typically is? Yes. Right. Right. So that's we're number one. And then what we do is we freak out because we can't figure it out. Duh. And then we're too afraid <laughs> to ask questions. And it becomes an enormous issue for so many women because then we just live with it. And that this right. whole you know, episode, I want to be about empowering women to take the time to do that at home if you need to. Or if that is uncomfy for you, bring it to your doctor's attention and ask them and yes. they'll let you know whatever your comfort level is. But just that sort of understanding of there's other people who are having the same or similar experience and your doctor is not going to think that you are crazy for asking no. this question because you're not the first and you're definitely not going to be the last. No. And in my experience and like with clients as well, when they've reported back, a lot of doctors really appreciate when you come in with your, not like, not, I know sometimes, a lot of doctors don't appreciate when you're like, well, I've been Googling, yeah. you know, which I get. But when you're like, I've been, I have questions about my body and I've looked and I wonder about this because there it's, again, we are so conditioned to just hand our bodies over from the first person who fingers us to our OB, right? Like we just hand it over and like, I don't know, you'll tell me if I'm yeah. weird, right? And this is a way that we we want to view all of these people, whether we're having sex with them or getting a pap smear, um, as as partners. Like they are partners in our health. They are partners in our pleasure. Like I, I also like you know we we aren't dependent on a partner to have an orgasm. 
right? Like right. you can do that for yourself also. We, I mean, we are dependent on doctors in certain ways because unless you yourself have gone to medical school and know those things, but like these are partners, they're allies and the best way that we can show up. It's like in our relationships, the best way we can show up is as fully realized as we can be on our own as well. Taking responsibility, taking initiative, being knowledgeable about what we bring to the table. Yeah. And that's why like with in my courses, like it's like I use movement as a tool to become fluent in your body, in your habits, where you are, where is your vagina pointing? How about now? What does that then mean with like what your feet are doing? Because there is a cause and effect to all of this. And how do we look at that? Not with judgment and certainly not with disgust or embarrassment, but how do we look at that with curiosity? Yeah. As a way to learn more about ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioning them being partners, I think, is another great segue. When you are, you know, we're having this discussion, a lot of it, we're referring to your OBGYN or your your PCP. But um, do you feel that there are any other um, either specialties in terms of doctors or uh, maybe holistic practices. Are there other resources that we should add into our list of you know routine appointments that maybe not enough women are going to um, outside of just those like standard? Oh, I have to go. It's my annual physical. I think depending on like what is going on in your body, but just remembering that a pelvic health physical therapist is exists. Yeah. So if you are having painful intercourse, if you are having chronic constipation and like taking stool softeners is only getting you so far, like this is another, if you are pregnant, if you've just had a baby, whether they came out of your vagina or your belly, like this is someone who is here to help you. That's a great resource. And also, I have a friend who is a urogynecologist, which most people don't know that that's even a thing. And they specialize in both gynecology and urology. And it's a specialty that's really, really spectacular. And so if also if you find you're in a situation where you don't feel like you're getting what you need from your primary care provider or your OB or midwife or whoever you see, um, ask for a referral to a urogynecologist because they are brilliant and know a whole bunch of other things. I would have never even know one existed. Never. But that right? is, this is why you're here. This is so, so helpful. <laughs> okay. Um, also, you mentioned painful intercourse. Um, and, you know, clearly we're having a larger discussion. The umbrella topic is the undereducation that we as women have. And I think that it is important to take a moment to just sort of acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of women out there who think that painful intercourse and non-pleasure are sort of synonymous, right? Like there's like, they think that, um, oh, like sex is just whatever because it kind of hurts. It doesn't really feel that great. But there, that actually should be a warning sign. There's a difference between not having an orgasm and being in physical pain. So what are some of the warning signs that women should keep their eye out for that really distinguishes maybe there might be something quote unquote wrong or bigger going on here versus you're just not enjoying sex with, with that partner or your previous partners? Yes. So 
just, you know, in the spirit of pure transparency, we're talking about sex as, as, as like something in the vagina, like penetration, Correct. penetrative sex. So it's also like it is it is more common to not orgasm from just penetration alone than it is to most women do not orgasm from penetration alone. So you're also like it is not a sign that anything is wrong if you also need external stimulation like using a vibrator on your clit or touching it or having your partner touch it um, in order to reach an orgasm. That is that is totally okay. Other than that, sex should not be – it should not be painful. If it is painful, something is going on. And that could be something as straightforward as sort of an excess of muscular tension. It could be indicative of like the – a hormone imbalance, whether that's in your own body or the birth control that you're taking shifts your hormones in such a way that like your your vagina is drier or the tissue is more sensitive that then it's creating a lot of friction and just pain. But pain, something is going on. I love it. So it's um, not it's it's not what warning sign or what type pain in general. That's all you need to know. Something's something, not right. Something's not. Yes, yeah, something is off. And the answer also could just be like you need lube. And if right. you've read anything by Emily Nagoski, we know like our natural lubrication that our body makes is not correlated to how turned on we are, regardless of what the books and the porn say. Right. Like you can be super turned on and ready to have sex and not be wet. Like, not be soaking wet. Like, this is not an assessment of anyone's performance or anything. Just use some lube. Lube is great. Right. Um, And if that doesn't solve it and you're still in pain, have a conversation. Um, Not experiencing any pleasure during it, that that is more, like, That's I mean, communication. Right? I that's mean, communication. what do you say? That's your emotional connection. That's psychological. That is, you know, and it's funny because I actually have something up on my YouTube channel. I told this story at a like comedy storytelling show with my ex-husband. I used to gag when he orgasmed. We would have sex infrequently because I didn't want to. But I also learned that when you're in a long-term relationship, everybody stops having sex. So I didn't think it was weird that we were literally never having sex because everybody makes these jokes and I took it literally. But apparently everyone actually does have sex. They just joke that they don't have sex. But I really wasn't having sex. And then when I did and he would orgasm, I would literally gag, like dry heave gagging. What? For years. It was just like yeah. a reflex for you? Literally a reflex that I ignored because that, but that's literally crazy. my body was saying, this is not good. Yeah, he ain't it. We sis. don't like this. <laughs> this is not it. Right? So that's like, I now very much listen to how my body. Re- so like, not only was I not experiencing pleasure, I was literally experiencing disgust. You were getting sick to your stomach. I was getting sick. I didn't have pain though. But so nothing. This is just say you know it comes in. Wrong. Yeah, it comes in many forms, but many different ways. Something was very, very mm-hmm. wrong. Because then I thought I listen for a while. I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm asexual. Am I gay? Am I bi? Am I? Is it something else? And then when I got divorced and started dating and slept with other people, I was like, no, it was that relationship. 
<laughs> it was that dynamic. It was that situation. It was those feelings. It was that state. Mm-hmm. And that weighed into it. So that's, again, like our physical and mental and emotional, like they're all present and connected and there and all deserve, all have a seat at the table. They're sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me if I'm if I'm wrong or off base with this, but was your first husband your high school sweetheart or did you meet? Yeah. First day of college. First day of college. It was my college sweetheart. Yeah. College sweetheart. So again, sort of that lack of experience at that age, it's like you don't know any better. So for a long time, your understanding was sort of this is just what sex is. This is how it is. And that, again, I mean, is just funneling into the the wider topic and, and discussion that we're having and just like we are we feel like shameful men get praised for having multiple partners women get shamed for it we're not supposed mm-hmm. to sleep around but when they do they get a pat on the back and a raise you know what i mean like it's totally so, it's so messed up but so you 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 just thought you know i'm gonna stay with him because this is sex like you never it didn't really occur to you your first thought wasn't what would happen if I was doing this with someone else? And, you know, would I possibly have a different outcome? Your initial reaction was, what is wrong with me? That's yep. crazy, crazy town. But that yeah, is it's bananas. how we are conditioned. That's how we but are conditioned. Yeah, that's, I'm not the only one. Yeah. You know, I mean, may, may, I, I have yet. Please, if you're listening and you too have gagged while your partner <laughs> orgasmed, please, if you're comfortable, let us know because I don't, I don't actually know anyone else who's experienced that specific thing, but, but people, you know what I mean? I know yeah. that I'm not alone and I'm not Absolutely alone in not. tolerating something like that for a long time before realizing that I don't have to. Yeah. You're absolutely not alone. I hope that other people will hear this. And yeah, maybe it's not the same exact reaction, but something along but the lines. And they, yeah, maybe it is. And, you know, they've been there. And it's just, it's, we're having these conversations too late, but at least we're having them now. That's all I have 100%. to say about that. So um, I actually want to take like a little bit of a pause just to, um, while we're on the talk topic about the marriage too, because I think that's something that was really compelling with your story for, for me was you ended up getting divorced from your first husband at 30 to 31, right? Yep. So yeah. as you know, oftentimes on this show, I kind of talk about how at 30, there's this pressure to settle down and to have a baby and to do all these things. You, for so long, were chilling, like, check, check, check. I'm an overachiever. Yeah. I got these things all taken care of. That's I, And then had this, like, your world gets flipped on its side moment at 30. And just when you thought you had it all already, you're starting from ground zero again. What was that yeah. like for you? How did how did like how did that drive you into sort of where you are now too? Well, that's I felt all of that pressure also. I was going to be pregnant with or already have my first child at 30, own a home, um, you know, be a stay-at-home mom. He would work and all of that. And we I got engaged when I was 24. We got married when I was 25. I was on track. That was all yeah. happening. And then 
I remember saying on my 30th birthday to my ex, this is going to be the best year of my life. Like I've never felt more like myself. I feel really centered. Like I can't wait for this. And it was funny because he said, I feel like this is going to be the hardest, like worst year of my life. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then like, we were both right. (laughs) And it just, it was, I mean, and a lot of like the, you know, I mean, even if, If like you've broken up with someone, like you've been thinking about breaking up with them for a while. You don't like have that thought and then break up that day usually, right? If you've been with them a while. Definitely with a marriage. Like this was – our marriage had been over for a long time. The relationship had been over and then it was like the grieving process and realizing this. And a lot of what I went through was letting go of – those pressures, but like I'm doing it, but I did it. I don't, uh, what do you, I'm going to be 30 and divorced? Like, how am I going to date? Who's going to want to marry a divorcee? Who's, you know, I'm now damaged goods. Also, I've never been on a date. I don't know what I'm doing. Who else have I, I've slept with him and my high school boyfriend. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what the, like, this is terrifying. And so much shame and, you know, dealing with this, like, I'm a failure. And then by the time it all came around, like I had to go through and process all of that and go through all of that to then reach a point where I was like, you know what? Like getting out of something that isn't working isn't a failure. That's a success. I'd be a failure if I, I'm only 30. I have so much life ahead of me compared to what's behind me that like, I'm not going to stay in this forever. Like, are you 18-year-old Alyssa gets to determine everything? And I just reached a point where I was like, also, when I'm dating, if some guy, which there was a guy, who, like, judged me for being a div- for having been divorced, like, thank you, because now I know you're not it. Like, yeah. That, yeah. I'm not wasting any time with you. And it – it it was in it was it felt kind it felt insane but also it was the most empowering thing i've ever ever experienced to then enter my 30s just being like i may not know exactly what it is i want but i am crystal fucking clear on what i don't want and what i do not tolerate that is so inspiring. And that is honestly half the battle. Sometimes you, yeah. you, know, you have the, you work backwards, right? We, sometimes we work totally. backwards. Process so, of elimination. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you did that. And it's, it's so many women, again, like stay because the fear of what are other people going to think? And I don't want to start over. You yes. really put yourself first in that situation and not many people have the courage to do that and you have been rewarded tenfold for that decision and sometimes being brave and being the leader or the first to do something that feels really wild and really scary can start um, this whole other side of like endless positive possibilities that you never even knew existed but if you lived in that fear you would still be doing the same thing as you were. And it's all about growth and evolution and continuing to like challenge ourselves. And also you deserve that happiness. You deserve to have pleasure. You deserve all these things. So at the end of the day, what good is making anybody else happy or, you know, get their approval if at the, you, you, when you look in the mirror at night or when you let you lay your head on the pillow, 
don't feel that way too. It, it doesn't mean Ex- shit. Exactly. To be honest. It doesn't. And that's, I said that, I said something so similar to that around like, and if people are going to judge me, like they can, they aren't the ones that like go to sleep and wake up in this body. Yeah. And if I can do that and feel good about what I'm doing, I don't, I don't have room for your reaction yeah. to that. Alyssa you know, I answers can't control to that. Alyssa and Alyssa only, okay? <laughs> That's right. And all of you listening should feel the same way. Insert your name. You can you too. Yes. You can too. Yes. It is possible. I know it feels it feels impossible because also we're, again, we're conditioned. We're not supposed to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I I, I really appreciate that story. It's it's unique. It's, it's empowering. It's like I said, inspiring. You. And, you know, a lot of times what we've talked about on the show is, oh, I'm, I'm not there yet. Like for me, I, I'm not married yet. Oh, I'm behind. But you're, and a lot of people I think can, can relate to that, right? Or we waited. But yes. with you, it's like, oh no, I did it. And now I'm starting over. I, you're, I, you've lapped yeah. us. You've lapped us. So it's a really <laughs> cool experience and, and unique story. So I'm glad you shared it. Thank you. Yeah. And then- now I want to kind of pivot back to the category. So I want to get into pregnancy and, and postpartum and um, motherhood. Um, I know that I'm asking you 900 million things, but, th- but these are important questions. I love it. So when it comes to pregnancy, sort of in relation to the, what we were discussing before, you know, what are some of the changes that we can expect? Are there different either, you know, exercises or tools that we need to do to adjust that pelvic floor than before? You know, how, how can we um, anticipate our bodies will change as we become pregnant? Okay. They change all the ways. All the ways. And it changes constantly. And it's, really uncomfortable Uh, because also it's like every stage of pregnancy and as your body changes and you kind of surrender to that and relinquish control, it's preparing you for motherhood where you are not in control and you need to surrender and be present with what's happening right now. And so it's getting really comfortable with letting go of well, I always do it this way. It's like, well, now now you have to be present with what's in front of you to honor that. Mm-hmm. And um I mean the changes uh, to speak, I mean the changes in your body are, are I mean there's so many, which is why like it, if you look on my website, you'll see there's like pregnancy courses, but there's one for the first trimester because also right. you feel like you feel like complete trash. So like when you're working out, like you're not doing the workout you used to do because what you will probably vomit and it will be pure torture. And there's no need to torture yourself anymore when you feel the, like you have COVID with it, the worst hangover of your life, but there's movement you can do that does feel good. That makes things feel a little bit better. And then in the second trimester, there's all sorts of hormones going around, going on in your body that are literally making your joints looser so that your bones move apart so that your body grows and changes so that this growing baby has some to go that you don't there's it can really all feel like there's so much you're not allowed to do and so many things being taken away from you and I really challenge people to look at it more as that's not appropriate right now like what is the benefit of still doing that right now when what you're training for is childbirth and 
postpartum. So really, what if we just refocus on what does this body need? What am I training for? And what is the best way to train for this huge physical feat that's happening that they've done studies that it's like as if not more physically demanding than doing an ultra marathon or like an Ironman. Yeah. Like the demands are insane. And so if I'm training for an ultra marathon, I'm not doing like step aerobics every day. No. Right. Like it's just not going to serve me as well as like doing some swimming, some running, (laughs) right. Bike riding and like stretching, Mm -hmm. right. Like encountering that, but still serving that. Um, And then in the third trimester, you're really preparing for childbirth and like, you know, your pelvic floor has to work harder to support now, right? It used to just support all of your internal organs, but now it's supporting your internal organs, the placenta, the amniotic fluid, your uterus, which is like 500 times the size it started at, and a whole other person and all of their organs and their skeleton and like it's insane it's so Which, like, weird we and have awesome a and of silence for the female body like can i get like, an amen yes and a nap <laughs> can i get an amen and a nap like we are busy and we are tired uh, you kill me yes a nap a nap would be nice too yeah and a nap so like it's you know really looking at what is your body doing it's an you know and I mean, I think things have changed a lot, but there's been like a lot of like people take a lot of pride in like staying on that spin bike until the day before delivery or do it, you know, doing all these things. And it's like, I don't ever want to take away something that you love doing and that makes you feel good and powerful and centered in your body. And how much of that is what's happening and how much of it is the like sort of ego part of being scared to let go of what you're used to and surrender to the fact that, yes, your entire life is going to explode and it's going to look different. Yeah. and Because that's really scary. I'm about to do it again. It's scary. I know. (laughs) I know. It is scary. But also, I mean, you can always get back to where you were, but it's just, it's it's to say like, be conscious and mindful of like listening to your body and doing what yes. your body needs. So if yes, you you love to be on that spin bike and that gives you joy, then that's wonderful. But if it's hurting you, maybe we take a step back. If it's not, yeah. you can do it. It's just being cognizant of how we can not put our body under any more stress than it's already under. Right. And honoring how much stress it is under yeah. just by what's going on. And exactly, it's, it's just being present with and honoring like where you are right now. Right. It's also like if you're a big yoga person, when you're pregnant, once you have like that relaxing hormone, like make it literally making your skeleton fall apart. I mean, it's not that dramatic because like we don't actually fall apart, but sort of that's what's happening. Like you're not going to go as deep into poses. It will hurt. Yeah. Like you will end like it is uncomfortable and it's listening to that discomfort, which does hurt your ego when you're like, I can usually do a split, but it's like, but for what right now? That's not yeah. It's it's harming me. Let me really take care of where I am. I love that. And then like moving into postpartum. So mm-hmm. I 
think a lot of people hear postpartum and oftentimes it gets associated with postpartum depression, which we can acknowledge, but I do think that people need to understand that's not what postpartum is. It is literally a term used to define post-pregnancy. So mommy is healthy, baby's healthy, delivery went fabulous. You're still in postpartum following the birth. And so that is still a stage of the process and important to be mindful of and care of. And it is different than postpartum depression. So many people just sort of abbreviate postpartum depression into postpartum and then it creates this gray area and they are not the same. They're not. So postpartum means the period of time after birth. After birth, exactly. And it's 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 an indeterminate like un like it's a some people say it's six weeks, some people say it's twelve weeks, but really it's the period of time after birth. So it is forever after you have given, <laughs> given birth. <laughs> it's however right? long you want it to be. It's however long you need it to be and it's forever. Right. Well, because, you know, they when you go home from the hospital, if you had a vaginal birth, they'll say you shouldn't, you know, have intercourse for this long. You should be resting, whatever. And so they think, okay, well, as soon as I hit that threshold, then I'll be good to go. It's which over. Is yeah. A nice goal to keep in mind, but again, it goes back to listening to the body and you might feel fantastic at four weeks. You might need a little bit more and that's okay. Most women need a lot more time. Six weeks is the, is actually the benchmark that like your uterus will have gone back to its original place and size that your, any stitches that you have have cleared that you're, you medically recovered, but um, you know, you just, you also pregnancy and childbirth are a trauma and an injury to your body. So this idea that like at six weeks, you're going to get up and run. Anyone I know who has run at six weeks postpartum has then stopped running again. Cause it's really uncomfortable because you are then cleared to start exercising, which, is re rehabilitating your body from the demands of pregnancy and postpartum. Mm-hmm. The same way that if you finished an ultra marathon, you wouldn't get up the next morning and run a marathon. Yes. Right? You would you would rest, you would then start to recover and replenish and restore from this huge thing that just happened. It's not a period of inactivity, but it's more focused on rehabilitation, like checking in with the foundations. And again, it feels like a time where we all feel like we're supposed to be at a certain benchmark. You're not, you're not gonna, that's just like the reality. And this is like this external pressure that's just like making everybody feel like garbage, but it's an opportunity to rebuild your foundation and come back stronger. And when it comes to your pelvic floor, whether you had a C-section or a vaginal birth, your pelvic floor needs some attention. And so do your your entire core. Your abdominals have been stretched. It takes – if you sprain your ankle, you don't run at six weeks. Right. Right? You're still doing circles with like – 
a TheraBand. And then you're working on balancing on one foot. And then you're balancing on one foot on a towel or something unstable. Then you're doing lunges and, you know, working on some plyometrics before you start running. Mm -hmm. It's the beginning of your rehabilitation. But it's, again, it's part of this image that, like, as women, like, we're not a lot, like, the, it, you have a baby and then everything's supposed to look and, and appear like you never had a baby, your body, your life, your schedule. And it's really an opportunity to figure out what this new thing is. Right. Right. I know we, it's like this competition, you know, oh, who loses the weight faster? You know, who is going, she's, she's already out going to a party. I mean, look at her. She looks beautiful. Oh wait, she's still running the errands. She's still keeping up with the household. She hasn't had to ask for help for anything. She's waking up through the night. She's feeding the baby. She's doing this. She's doing that. Why are we competing with one another? Why are we measuring these things? And like, how is this still okay? It's just ridiculous. There shouldn't be comparisons. And it's, I mean, it's not, it's different, but it's also like, it's the same thing with like, who got engaged? What does their ring look like? What dress are they wearing? When did it happen? And like with postpartum and having babies, it's like your experience. If you are someone who has babies younger, like if you are in your twenties and you had a baby, your postpartum experience is going to be very different as that. I'm going to have this fall, this spring, spring, summer when I'm 39. Right. 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 Like this body is going to respond differently (laughs) than a 29 year old body. That doesn't mean I did anything wrong or I did something right. Right. Like that's like, that's the reality. And also every person is different. Like our bodies respond differently. And that's why it's, again, it's like, it's like looking at your vulva, right? (laughs) Like there is no one, there's there's no, it's not uniform. Right. There isn't one normal. Right. And not right? even so between. We have to, oh, sorry. You go. We have to stay centered in what our normal is. I think what you were about to say, like, like my, this postpartum experience is going to be very different than the one with my son. Yeah. That's that exactly will be what four years say. prior. Yeah. You know, because everything's different. And that's, that doesn't mean I'm do- I did something wrong then and, or doing something wrong now. It's just different. Exactly. Like we, how do we even keep up with this competition between us and other women when just your experience between your first and your second pregnancy could be vastly different and, and, you know, completely opposite. So like you're still trying to figure out that and your body's response. And it could be because it's a boy versus a girl. It could be because it's, I was this age. Now I'm this age. Like who knows the climate that you live in? Like there's so many different things, you know, that could, that that could contribute to it. So if, if we know that, each individual can have different pregnancy experiences, then we need to understand and accept that, of course, person to person, it's going to be the same. And we're just doing such a disjustice to ourselves and to other women by trying to put it into buckets and to make it, this is good, this is bad. And why do we only use adjectives like that? You know, it's crazy. And it just fuels that comparison game. Yes. And which there's room for us all to do it however we need to do it. And we're all right. Absolutely. And I am very well aware that this is not always the case, Um, but it can be a huge contributing factor to 
someone who and ultimately has, you know, a postpartum depression experience, right? I'm not good enough. Your hormones are already so heightened. And then you have yeah. all these external factors and this extra pressure. And that can be really challenging for somebody to have to cope with and to deal with. And yeah. on top of what's just happening in their body that they can't explain. They can't understand in their head, their body, how they're feeling right all over the place. Now I have to deal with this too. It's just, why are we doing that to other women? And why are we making them feel that way? Why are we doing it to ourselves? You know, but a hundred percent, I do want to not to like negate, you know, what I was just saying about, about postpartum, but I do want to talk about postpartum depression too, because I I think it is extremely, extremely important. And I am sure in New Jersey, you've been hearing there's a really sad case here in Massachusetts about a mother with postpartum. So it's very relevant. It's very topical right now. She had ultimately with psychosis. Um, Well, yeah, because we, there's a little bit, there's more conversation around postpartum depression now and like the difference between that and the baby blues, which is the name given to the response to the dramatic hormone Mm -hmm. changes immediately postpartum that like almost all women experience. And then it extends into postpartum depression. There's also something called postpartum anxiety, which, I mean, there's a lot of research around um, depression and anxiety in general and like really how different are they? Are they really just do they, are they just expressed differently? Like, are they the same, whatever. But a lot of people don't realize that they have a perinatal mood disorder because they're not feeling depressed. Like I never felt depressed. I didn't feel detached from my son. I never felt anything. I was hyper vigilant. I was not really sleeping when he was sleeping because I was constantly hearing him and I was up and I couldn't rest and I was worried about everything because I had postpartum anxiety, Mm. which manifests differently. But a lot of women end up years later hearing someone else talk about it and being like, oh my God, I had that. But there, I didn't know there was a name for it. And postpartum psychosis is thankfully less common, but still right. something that can happen. And it's it's psychosis. I mean, this is someone who is not in control of what she was doing. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely heartbreaking story. Yeah. And it's, it's awful hearing the conversations that are happening around it that are really vilifying her. It's disgusting. What kind of woman would do this? It's, it's, it is, it is, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Some of the things that people are saying, and it just shows that we as a community or a population or as a humanity don't have enough education around this because if they really Mm -hmm. freaking understood it, they wouldn't be saying the things that they're saying. So it really, it's one of those things that like very much upsets me. And I think it's so important to also mention like this thing doesn't discriminate. And also you could have it for your second child and not have it for your third, or you could have it for your, you know, you could have it for your third and then not your fourth, whatever it may be. Like it's not always going to again, happen at every single pregnancy. She had two wonderful pregnancies 
And then the third, you know, why would she have expected yeah. that all of a sudden that was going to happen? We don't see it coming. There's no warning signs. There's very little that you can do to control it if you can at all. And so instead of having that hate in our hearts and judging somebody for it, my question to you is how do you think that we can do a better job at being supportive and and having um, more education around the topic. Well, I love that you're making space for this because I think that that is the beginning and that just talking about it because so many yeah. people don't know that it exists. They don't know to look out for it. And I think that that is the first thing that we need to do. And I was talking to another a friend of mine and we were like, at least in, in New York state, before you leave the hospital, after you have a baby, you have to watch a video about um, shaking babies. Like if you shake a bit, like there was, oh. I don't know how many years ago, there was a, a, a parent who sh was so frustrated. They shook their baby and it creates brain damage. So you have to, watch this video and sign a whole bunch of release papers that I watched the shaking baby video. I'm not going to shake my baby. I'll walk away before I shake my baby. So we know that that's something to look out for, but where's the conversation around severe postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, post-traumatic stress disorder, which I was diagnosed with after the birth of my son and have mm -hmm. had to work through and work on because these things happen. And what's horrible is that because there's there's been no conversation and no education about it it's like so it's what i'm supposed to be suffering from ptsd and then saying to you i have ptsd i am going to need the following resources in order to work right. through this so that i i and our family don't suffer or that i don't hurt myself or hurt you know yeah how is that how if i if i am suffering from postpartum psychosis and i am having a psychotic break and that's where i'm at how is that person supposed to say i think i feel psychotic it's we need to all have these conversations and have education around it so that mm -hmm. our partners our friends our families our loved ones can then say if you check in on your friend who just had a baby. And if they're saying things that are concerning, you can then not just say something to them, but say something to the people they live with. Right. Say something to, I think we really need to speak to her doctor to get someone else in there. I wish it were part of just like the protocol that you see a therapist after you have a right. baby to just check in on because I could not agree you, more. Just there's a lot of feelings and a lot of changes and to just have have a professional there to witness it and guide you and then get you the full support that you need whether that's just a space each week to cry or if it's medication or if it's a stay at a hospital, whatever it is that you need, that you get it. Because there is no mother that is going to murder her children in her right mind. Of course. Of course. Like it, this, and that there's any discussion that that's what happened is 
Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's asinine. Disgusting. It's completely asinine. Yeah. And, you know, even like the, the video you said they made you watch it in, in New York, it's makes zero sense to me that it's okay. This is what you don't do. You don't shake your baby because it causes brain damage. Someone who is not suffering from a postpartum, either anxiety, you know, depression, psychosis, whatever, of course, is going to look at that and be like, well, duh, what do you think? I'm fucking crazy. Like, I'm going to shake my baby. But that's not what we're talking about. It's it's those other it's those other areas. People may be feeling those other um you know, disorders, right? Where if yeah. things become hazy or become clear, but also how irresponsible to put that video out and make that a requirement without giving the reason why. Like you, if if X, Y, and Z happens to you, then you might, you know, shake your baby out of frustration. It's just like, don't shake your baby. Right. Well, <laughs> I like, mean, that doesn't make any sense. It talks a little bit, but I agree with you. It doesn't talk about what leads up to it. Exactly. Right? Because that could be we a video more if of you the, are, the what leads up to it. Exactly. And what those behaviors are. And that then, and again, like, and, and it doesn't, it all also doesn't belong on the partner. Right. Right. Because like they're, they haven't slept either and they're, they're losing it. Um, but the whole community around the mother to really, understand what to look for what questions to ask right um and i think it really right now starts with us just talking about the fact that this exists i completely completely and it could happen and like you said it doesn't discriminate it does not discriminate and i encourage everybody to you know you may think oh well i'm not gonna have a baby. I'm not. I don't plan on being pregnant, or I don't know anyone who's pregnant. This it. You. You. First of all, you never know what's going to come down the road. But this is your mothers, your sisters, your cousins, your girlfriends, your coworkers. So even if it doesn't maybe directly impact you in this moment, it is only going to better prepare you when it potentially affects somebody else down the road. And that's the thing I think we're, yeah. we're so um, like, don't, like don't be naive enough to think that it couldn't impact your life in some way or another directly or indirectly at any given time. And, and to think that like we, we always wait until it's almost like too late or it's that like your hair's on fire moment. Why, what, what harm is it going to cause to just, read about it now, learn about it now, store it away for later, right? Like don't wait until, (laughs) you know, we do that. So I just, this has been like weighing very, very heavy on my heart. So I just hope that people will use this opportunity as this is getting some attention to A, have some sympathy for that poor mother, but also use this as, and take responsibility to to learn about it themselves as well, because it's- Something that Something that I talk to clients about when they're, especially if I'm working with someone during pregnancy, is asking if they have, what kind of support do they have set up postpartum regarding their mental health? Have they already gotten together a list of therapists that they could call if they feel that they need it? Or if they're currently seeing a therapist, do they have something scheduled? What is their plan with them? And even early postpartum, I've worked with people and said, like, have, do you 
I was like, you can talk to me. I am not a therapist or a doctor, but like, are you speaking to your partner? Are you talking to your mom or your parent? Or, you know, do you have a therapist set up? And I, it can feel like something we're not supposed to talk about, but ask your friends that too. What is your, what is your like mental health plan postpartum? Yeah. That's a really like people will ask you, are you getting a baby nurse? Are you going to have a doula? Do you have a therapist? Like just include that, which also gives everyone involved permission to think about it. I love that. It helps normalize that conversation also. Yes. Thank you. That's, that's actually, that's very, very helpful. And I love that. And we should start asking those questions. Um, now, Bringing it back to something a little bit lighter because I I don't want to end on anything too heavy, but I have sort of a fun question for you. I'm, I'm curious. You have your one child who's not old enough quite yet. You have number two on the way, but being this sort of unapologetic, unfiltered, full transparency, no judgment type of, of person, type of woman, right? When it comes to down the road, your kids are getting older and you have to have the birds and the bees talk with them. I'm curious how you're going to approach that and what that conversation is going to look like in your home um, when it comes to explaining the parts and what sex is and all of this with your own kids. I I love this. Um, that's I mean, I'm, they're probably both going to be just so embarrassed by me <laughs> because I'm just going to answer their questions, you yeah. know, like I'm not going to skirt around it. And I mean, even already, like my son is three and he talks about his penis a lot. And then like, he's asked me, he's like, where's your penis? And I'm like, I don't have one. And he's like, <laughs> so then there was some other time and he like accepted that. You know? Yeah. And then there was one time he came in the bathroom and he was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm peeing. And he was like, but you don't have a penis. <laughs> so you can't pee because you don't <laughs> well, have a penis. Like, I can't pee. So I was like, oh, yeah, no, you pee out of your penis. Like, I pee out of my vulva. Like, I don't have a penis, but I can still pee, which was – he was very relieved for me. <laughs> I think that was worrying him. Like, what does she do? Um, How but- cute. You know, I think that a lot of times with your kids, like, listen, it can be super, super awkward. But really, if you're, again, like present with them, they kind of guide you through it. And it's like, it's always going to be age appropriate answers. I don't think, and I don't think putting it on one conversation is the most effective, but creating an environment where we talk about these things, we don't shy away from it. I want my kids to know that even if it's something embarrassing or taboo or whatever, that they can come to me and I will give them an honest answer and I'm not going to judge them because I don't want, I don't want them learning about like, if they have a health concern, I don't want them to be learning about it from like so-and-so's older sibling. Yeah. Or even worse, WebMD. (laughs) Or WebMD. I don't want them to learn about what they can expect from like having sex or being intimate or even just like making out with someone they really like. I don't want them them to learn about that from porn. Yeah. You know, I'd rather they hear that from me that like this is something when like you like someone so much that it had like just saying it isn't enough and you want to show it in a physical way. These are options that you have. Yeah. And for them to know that they 
are have autonomy over their bodies and whoever they're sharing, they can then choose to share that. But that person has autonomy over their own body and they maintain autonomy over their own body, you know? So I have, I don't know what it'll like exactly what it'll yeah. look like. I, you know, but I do think it'll be, I think they might end up like me. Like I, my mom answered everything pretty honestly. And then I told people like someone else was like, I remember being at softball and someone was like, yeah, like, you know, the stork brings the baby. And I was like, mm, the no, no, goes in the vagina. <laughs> and like, everyone looked at me and I was like, what? Like I was the weirdo, mm-hmm. but I'm like, you, what do you? And then I told my mom, I was like, what's this stork nonsense? Yeah. And she was like, that's what parents tell their kids when they're not ready to tell them what really. Oh my God. That's happened. so funny. Well, it seems like you're definitely planning yeah. to sort of practice with your preach, but <laughs> practice what you preach. But I like that you're saying, you know, of course there's still ways to tone it down to absolutely fit their age group but we can call things by their names and it doesn't need to be yes. this big serious okay honey it's time we had the talk you know as questions come up naturally feel encouraged and empowered to answer them and to give them vocabulary and to talk to them about what they might feel and what it might like what they might be thinking and how to Mm. make sure that they're safe and that they're okay instead of being so like oh no you just don't have sex and then you're gonna you know mean girls like you're gonna get pregnant and then you're gonna die like it's 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 just (laughs) having the whole like this is this these are the possibilities and here's what you maybe should avoid here's what you want to think about and still leaving it in their hands I think so many you know people that I know in my life, like friends and, and like others, it's like, well, it was this taboo thing. So I just, you know, had to figure it out. And then you have to learn the hard way. You can actually stop perpetuating that cycle by giving them that information in the upfront. Absolutely. And that's like, you know, I just want them to be able to make informed decisions. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. This was so much fun. I want to bring it to our sort of closing here. Final piece of advice. I ask all of my guests before I let them go, um, if they had one of the biggest takeaways from this episode that they would like the listeners to learn and to remember either Tell us what that is or just maybe something we haven't even covered, your sort of go-to general piece of life advice, something maybe you knew, you wish you knew sooner in life. Do you have that one little, you know, quote or mentality you lean on? Okay, what's it going to be? There is no one right way. There is only your right way. I love it. And that goes to everything. Everything. All of it. It's universal. All of it. It's amazing. (laughs) Okay, so let me run down the laundry list before I let you go. I mentioned the website, you guys. It's alyssa-alter.com. You can find her on Instagram at alyssa-alter. And it's E-R, not A-R. Her podcast, she has two. There is Myth of Motherhood, and then there is Alter Your Life. So is that that's correct, right? So um, yes you know, great for everybody. Maybe you can figure out which one. Obviously, if you're not a mother, maybe that's not the right audience. You can listen to Alter Your Life, but well, they're, actually, they, they overlap a lot. I was listening they to some of them, you know? Lot. And Myth of Motherhood isn't exclusively for moms. That's why it's the myth 
of motherhood, right? That's what's supposed that's what we're supposed to do. It's supposed to be define us and, you know, be the only thing we need in our life, but there's so much more to it. So, um so check don't it out. yeah, yeah, don't yeah, don't, check it out. Yeah, exactly. And um, you're allowed to hate it. But no, just like don't write no, a review not. if you hate it. <laughs> Only write a review if you like it. Um, I also like you have like little six minute episodes in there that are just he- like walking you through how to do this pelvic floor exercise. So there's yeah. there you know thirty minutes, forty five minutes, and a quick six minute. So lots of great stuff in there. Um, and then postpartum.com, it is P S T P R T M. Right. So yep. it's, it's, it's postpartum with no vowels, no vowels. And then your book is unstuck, which I love the name of. But what's the full title? Unstuck from understudy to the study of your undercarriage. <laughs> <laughs> incredible incredible and then also on your website i noticed you have an event coming up so on yes. the 16th of february this is going to be um, a little bit after this episode airs at 7 p.m you're going to be in new york but you're also offering virtual tickets as well and yes. it's called the the we party right and this yep. is motherhood so tell people a little bit about the event and where they can buy tickets if they're interested So this is, uh, I did back in 2017, I did my first one woman show called me party hashtag. I love my life, which was all about divorce and dating and making your own party. And so this is called we party hashtag. This is motherhood, which is what happens when the me party becomes a we party. So it's, you know, a, a show about motherhood, but really about again, like, coming face to face with these expectations of like what I'm supposed to do, who I'm supposed to be, all of that garbage and compared to what the reality is, which is that I'm still me. I and that's that should be the message that we continue to put out there. So thank you for doing that. Yes. I plan on tuning in virtually. I can't wait. Oh, thank you. Thank you yes, so much for this. I have learned so much. I and I appreciate how many resources you are, you have. Like I said, you guys, she has a bunch of courses that you can sign up for on the website too. You can find her anywhere. So please do. <laughs> this is just the beginning of these conversations. I really hope it's yes. not the end. I admire you for being so bold and getting the ball rolling in this area. And I hope that more people continue to follow suit, but it means a lot for me that you would, you would join the show. And I know the guests are going to especially love this one. Thank you so much. And thank you for creating this show and this platform and having these conversations. It's so necessary and you're awesome thank you so much thank you all right the amy polar of vaginas everybody until (laughs) next time see you later bye-bye